my intention was authenticity, mm -hmm. but what I lacked was accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, Senior Minister at Community Church of New York. I'm Jill Novensky, the Director of Religious Education. And we're coming to you from Community Church here in the heart of Manhattan in New York City. Coming from a long line of disruption. Four fires, three name changes. Two pandemics. <laughs> Four times. We sold five of our buildings. Yeah, that part. We had a vote to oust the minister. We're in a rented church space. We got sued by four members. <laughs> oh my God. We're inviting you to join us for a Sunday to Sunday rundown of how we do things here, hoping that you find out what that might look like for you. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we are showing up. <laughs> <laughs> So Jill isn't here, yes. so we're you and I are uh, we're gonna chat it up. I think it's gonna be great. <laughs> I'm really excited. I was doing my homework, listening to the chat. Oh, were you really? And there, you guys, I mean, this is really exciting. I think this is an opportunity in such a big way, Why? and I want to lean into it. Um, um, what other churches don't have is a place to hear what the leadership is actually thinking. And uh, that transparency you talked about in the last episode is in play in the podcast. That transparency, that reculturing of authenticity, being real as, as ministry. I was thinking that today. I was actually thinking about that podcast we did. I think we called it um, Done Being Polite. Done Being Polite. Right? And yes. I was thinking, you know, I ramble on and on there, I think, about my clothes. But really what I was trying to say there was like, uh, it's a more polite society. Yes. You know? Absolutely. It's not, it's not so much about like formality. Well, it is about formality, but it's also about it totally the whole is. culture of kind of midtown Manhattan. And like, absolutely. <laughs> well, and I think the and clothes authenticity are important. is real ministry. It absolutely yeah. is. And in this, in this neighborhood, what you wear says a lot about what you're trying to do and it shape. Really does. You know, the way that we engage with our um, performative identities. Yep. So in sure. terms of like disrupting church, yes, the whole idea that you work here <laughs> is disruptive. <laughs> like is a thing. It's and huge. It's, so I mean, just to say it. So you're a Catholic priest, a Franciscan brother. Yes. And yet you are our chaplain. You're one of our three person ministry team. Yes. And when I had this idea. Mm almost nobody understood what I was getting at. <laughs> I totally relate. Right, I'm sure that I would love to actually hear your thought of like why I was even looking for someone like you, but I, mm. it, it just, it feels like we have these models for hiring and these yes. expectations for hiring and titles for things. And then we fit in mm. from our very specific Unitarian Universalist world we like fit people in to mm. positions and I have really since I started here because of the culture of the church and because we're in midtown Manhattan I've, I have felt like what if we don't do that what mm. if we think about it really differently yeah so I can't even remember so you've been here like a year and a half a year and almost. a half yeah I started last August so for the people in our listening audience <laughs> yes yes <laughs> tell them something about yourself oh well, I'm originally from New Mexico, and I came to New York not pursuing ministry, but pursuing music. Um, when I got here, I realized that the culture of the music industry was um, really damaging for who I was as a person. I felt used, I felt undermined, um, and I felt like it was too difficult for me to try to make a life 
um, and what I was looking for was more of um, a simple acceptance. That brought me to ministry, and uh, the pandemic brought me to the Franciscan order. Um, a close friend of mine uh, is actually um, another priest in, um, the, at the mission, at St. Joseph Mission Church in New Jersey. That's where I'm installed, that's where I'm ordained, uh, and he invited me during the pandemic to come and be ordained. That was his invitation. He says, do my process, join the system, read what we have to say. I think it's who you are. So, but just to be clear, yes. you were, you have always been Catholic. Mm, no, I haven't. Okay. Um, my father is Catholic mm -hmm. and my mother probably identify as seeking. She uh, grew up in a variety of different religious contexts, but I've always understood my Catholic identity to be somewhat fraught. The only church in my neighborhood in New Mexico that spoke English was a Lutheran church. So we went to the English-speaking church where the key to their identity as Lutherans was their distinction from being Catholic, <laughs> their separation. So if you went to the Lutheran church, you were not a Catholic. Well, that was very confusing for me because my whole family is Catholic. My father's from Bergen County, New Jersey. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I've got a Catholic family from here to North Carolina. And uh, so for me, when I came to seminary, I came in uh, calling myself Lutheran, as a Lutheran, mm -hmm. connecting with the Lutheran community. And you went to seminary here at Union. That's right. I went to seminary here in New York City at Union Theological Seminary. My intention was authenticity, but what I lacked was accuracy. <laughs> there was nothing about me that was Lutheran. Right. I had no context for the Lutheran culture. Uh, I had no entry point. You don't strike me as Lutheran, frankly. <laughs> I never got there. I was never, you know, and uh, I think there was some try to find the right boundary of generosity and honesty. I don't think I was ever invited to be Lutheran, really. Oh, yeah. um, I wasn't... Uh, I didn't strike the Lutherans as very Lutheran either. Mm. I found a home, however, at St. Joseph Mission Church. Yeah. They understood what I was doing and they understood in particular my deep faith. And that faith is more uh, what I understand to be my driving reason. That's why I'm here. That's what has brought me to this ministry. That's who I am. So you pursued Catholicism and then you pursued ordination, but you pursued it in a non-traditional Catholic format. So the Correct. context is really very liberal. You're married, you have kids. Correct. Uh, my bishop, uh, Father Joseph Saccone, comes from the old Catholic tradition. And the old Catholic tradition is an open conflict in some of the uh, structures that the Roman Catholic Church used to withhold sacraments in particular. Uh, one of the biggest issues of the old Catholic Church is the withholding of communion from people who don't profess to be Catholic because communion is intended to be an expression for the world. Uh, the way that plays out in our community and uh, at St. Joseph Mission is uh, we don't withhold ordination from people because they're married. That's a misunderstanding according to the um, old Catholic interpretation of tradition, it's a misunderstanding of how sacraments are intended to function. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I'm married. I have three <laughs> kids and I'm also an ordained priest. So when I went looking for, I was looking for a chaplain. I was looking for someone specifically for pastoral care. And I'm trying to remember 
Oh, I know, because we had a minister here who was doing pastoral care, then we brought in a second minister, but that's not what he was doing. Mm. And I was kind of open to what that was going to mean and look like, and I wasn't sure we needed another minister in particular, because there were two, really. Mm. How many do you need? (laughs) (laughs) And I cast this really wide net, Mm. and... Well, here I am, I'm chief of staff and I hire and fire people essentially on my own. I actually didn't do that for your position because I was Mm. nervous. Sure. Because it feels to me like if I'm hiring someone to do pastoral care, it's the people you're taking care of who actually should be the ones hiring you. So it didn't make sense that I was doing this on my own and I wasn't completely trusting that I knew what other people needed. Mm. So I created a search committee and I knew when I said to the search committee, I think I'm looking for someone and it's not going to be a UU minister. Hmm. I thought that they would be like, why? What are you doing? Why? And they weren't at all. They're like, okay, cool. Can I ask you about that? <laughs> yeah. Why not a UU minister? What, what, was, the, what was your hope? Um, well, there are a few things. One of them is that this is a multiracial congregation and there were already two ministers and they were both white. Yeah. And I really was not interested in bringing... You know, the ministers, if you're thinking about this hierarchically, the ministers are the people at the top, and to have another white person there just felt inappropriate for who we are. Absolutely. And there just aren't that many people of color in ministry. And in when I was looking, there were really very few willing to move to New York. And it didn't feel necessary. You used to training and some do... Um, some do a lot of training and some have really great instincts for pastoral care, but it isn't necessarily the strongest impulse for UU ministers. There's, I mean, for, again, for some it really is, sure. but across the board. So if my pool was already small, it felt even smaller. Yeah. I also, I guess I just... This is a community church. I'm actually yes. really inspired yes. by the whole model of community churches. Mm. And I know that they don't really exist in the same way anymore, but when community churches started, the idea was let go of the divisions of denominationalism yes. and look at your neighborhood, who's in your community, and serve them. Mm. And when John Haynes Holmes left the Unitarian Association and joined the community ministry movement, mm. His idea really was, this is the new world. Like, we, our fragmentation, he was Christian. It was a pretty Christian congregation. That the Christian denominational system Mm. was really a reflection of our own brokenness. And that to heal that, we needed to start bringing things together. And we needed to stop talking about that, which divided us, but start working together to be a single community. I find that really exciting and then this church grew to be the largest in the community church movement there were 1800 members yes which is as which is bigger than any community church has ever been it was the second largest unitarian church but as the community for for me the idea that community churches all over the country Mm. are attracting people who want nothing other than to worship with their own neighbors yes i love that so I don't feel, I mean, we left the community church movement because it doesn't really exist on its own as a thing anymore Mm. and rejoined the Unitarian, and at that point, Unitarian Universalists. Mm. But I don't think we lost the culture. Sure. I don't want us to lose the thread 
Yes. Because it feels like there's so much potential there. It feels like the new world. It does. I mean, even though maybe the experiment as they imagined it didn't work, I still feel pretty committed to it. It's, oh, I love hearing about that. And I love hearing about your intention to uh, keep that community church thread alive. This neighborhood is in need of ministry. Our community, this, the Unitarian Universalists who make up our congregation, are looking for those opportunities, looking for how they can serve the wider community, as am I. And so your invitation to me to come here, uh, how many Catholic priests have an opportunity to serve a community outside of a Catholic church? Not very many. Uh, I could not imagine uh, a more appropriate or uh, just a broad enough context for ministry to feel this vital. The community church is in a unique place to be able to be that community. Yeah. It's in a unique, uh, because of our multicultural uh, community, because of the multicultural reality of our membership, um, I think the community church can be that place that looks at these boundaries between us, boundaries between churches, boundaries between people, boundaries between communities, and kind of shrugs. So <laughs> why? You know, it's not worth it. Why don't you come have some food? Mm. Why don't you come, you know, pray with us? And you can pray how you like, but we'll pray together. You know, I get really annoyed on this podcast yes. at myself for talking a lot about community church, although mm. there's sort of no way not to because it's the context of what we're doing. Yes. But if I think about people who are listening to the podcast, it's not just about being like physically located where we are. I think that mm. when we look at the new world, when we look yes. at churches that are disintegrating and the church movement as a, the foundation of American life, mm. and we watch that fall apart, right? It's yes. crumbling and dying, whether we want to accept that or not. I really believe what's next for us. If we're going to survive, we're going to continue the mission, our mission in the world. One mm. of the things we have to do is break ourselves open. That's right. And start thinking way outside. Mm. So thinking outside of Unitarian Universalism, right? We are not the only ones with this mission, right? That's right. We find you and you're a Catholic priest. And mm. while people may have thought, oh my, no, we definitely can't have a Catholic priest mm. at the center of our ministry team. The reality is that your mission is our mission. Yes. Right? We're all looking to serve people. We're all looking to put love at the center of everything. So we if are. we're doing that. The mission being, I think, connection, being with people, being um, whole people and knowing our neighbors, being around our neighbors. That mission to me is a central piece that's missing in the way that we do religion in this country everywhere, not just here in this neighborhood. One of my mentors, uh, Roger Haight, Father Haight, some of his work was in ecclesiology specifically. Sure. He did a lot of work on uh, defining the church and locating the church's boundaries. Uh, and uh, what Father Haight noticed was that we think in terms of theology. The difference between these churches is what they believe about stuff. But what he found in his research was that in every community, there was great diversity of mm. what people actually believed. They might profess a, uh, a creed or might mm. profess a confession for the sake of their community. Uh, however, the lived reality was far from that. Lived reality looked more like ethnic separations between mm. communities. Folks who spoke the same language went to the same church. Folks who looked like each other went mm. to the same church, regardless of what they believed. And uh, for Father Haight, that was a problem. The uh, way that we do religion ought to be 
more about uh, learning than comfort. Mm. And I thought that that was a powerful thing for a, a Catholic priest to say. I'm thinking about our liturgy in particular and how we have opened up a space for learning by getting rid of or leaving behind some of the old 18th century forms that aren't serving our community now. I'm thinking about the stories that we tell that open up space for, uh, for us to interact with each other. Those are not difficult. We don't have to be Unitarians to tell stories. Right. You don't have to be believe any one thing uh, to look at your neighbor and wonder what makes them special and what they could offer you, and more importantly, what you could offer them, what, 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 uh, what could grow out of that relationship. That feels to me not just a mission of the church, but that feels to me like a mission of, of people. You know, it's really interesting to think about church as a place of comfort mm. or church as a place you learn, mm. right? Because if you're going to learn, you start with a, a curiosity and an acknowledgement of not knowing, yes. which is uncomfortable. Yes. And that's yes. different from a place where everyone looks like you and talks like you and has the same base of understanding or a basic belief. I, I yes. agree that I have never been in a church where everyone actually believed the same thing, even though that's sort of theoretically what, what that, but that, that has never really panned out. Yes. It's interesting that he, he was able to really name that and see that. And mm. I can see it clearly, well, even in Catholic churches, I was mm. also Catholic for a while, so even in Catholic churches where everyone's professing the same thing, we're not believing the same thing. That's right. But so if the church is a place where you are going because you want to just feel comfortable, mm. then there are lots of places to feel comfortable. Right? That's there right. are lots and lots of places. You can sit in a Starbucks with your friends. You can go to mm. a book group. <laughs> There's lots of places to meet people sure. who are like you. Mm. But what if we want to build a new world? Mm. What if we want to actually open up? Yes. What we have now and do something different. Well, then we need to be with people who are different from us. That's right. Not people who are like us. The world as it is now isn't working. And we discovered that because of how much everyone is suffering. Right. Um, we need a minister for pastoral care to tend to suffering. And right. I will say that that was um, one of the biggest surprises that I discovered as I started to meet more and more of our, of our community, more and more of our congregation, was just the volume of suffering people are yeah. dealing with. And I think that that's not unique to this community. I think that that's our world. Yeah. Uh, our people are suffering. Our people are suffering, and, and I believe a lot of people are suffering. Yes. And we do not know how to talk about it yes. at all. And we avoid people who are being honest about their own suffering. That's right. We push well, them to the side. Well, and I will say that I notice some of that is also a very Protestant reality. What I love the most about the Catholic liturgy to me is I feel like it provides a safe container for some of that suffering. Mm -hmm. It is uh, a, almost an eternal space outside of our worlds. When you, when you go to Mass, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for me, it feels more like I'm entering into a wholly separate reality that allows me to then reflect on my life in the world from outside of it that I've, mm -hmm. I've entered into mass mm -hmm. as, as a wholly separate experience. Yes. And it's a very much an emotional experience yes. too. Um, I think that that is necessary and uh, difficult to connect to, difficult to put your finger on. It's the, it's the comfort part. Yeah. People um, 
I uh, recognize that learning requires this acknowledgement of not knowing. Uh, and I think that if you are suffering, there must be an acknowledgement in the suffering that you're not, you don't have all of the information. Right. Because it's this comfort question, right? And, and, and I think that... Well, sort of the relationship between should we be comforting people or should we be breaking everything open, building a new world? And you can't sort of yes. do both. But I think we, we can't do both at the same time with the same people. Mm. But we do actually have to do both. Because people are suffering largely because the world is so imperfect. The yes. world is so broken. Yes. And so they are suffering. So there's this immediate, what I'd call charity need, right? The yes. help people right now in their suffering and in the thousand ways that mm. they suffer and yes. work together to mm. build the new world, which requires that people who are comfortable mm. start to question their own comfort. That's right. So something occurred to me while you're talking. When I was newly, so I was baptized Catholic. I was raised in a, with atheists when my father was Catholic, my mother was Jewish. And so I was raised kind of without religion then chose Catholicism when I was in college. And one of the things I struggled with in the Catholic mass was when um, before taking communion, when we say, I am not worthy to receive you, we should only say the word, and I shall be healed. Yes. And I was, um, as I understand now, probably more instinctively universalist. Sure. But at the time, I was like, how am I not worthy? Mm. And my spiritual director was like, do you, do you actually experience yourself as being so perfect mm. and so whole you do not need healing? And I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> ah! Now I understand that. Yes. But as Unitarian Universalists, we actually don't incorporate the concept that mm -hmm. we are in any way mm. less than perfect. And, and there's something beautiful about that theologically, sure. right? That, that human beings are whole and beautiful and saved and loved. Yes. And we don't need to worry about hell and we don't need to worry about mm -hmm. sin in, in that way. Yes. But the underside of that mm. is an arrogance yes. and a sense of we are perfect mm. rather than we are in process. Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking about um, churches as hospitals for the yeah. hurting, for the sick, for the broken. If you aren't hurting, if you aren't sick, if you aren't hurting, if you aren't lonely, it might be hard to understand what churches are for. Um, and I think that under, like, if, if we unpack some of that um, expectation of comfort, that expectation mm. that churches are nice and pretty and beautiful mm. and good to be in and good to be around, good to look at, full of nice people who just want to do nice things mm. and never hurt anyone, that's, that's a lie. That's, that's an a illusion. Lie. We don't live that life. No church looks like that right. and no church and does And no one experiences that. No one experiences that. But you that. know what? When we don't experience it, then we're stunned. Then we're like, what? Right, what happened? How could, <laughs> you're not you really, believe? You're not people of faith. Yes, <laughs> I am shocked. Right. Right. You, you know, yeah. I'm thinking about this um, uh, this authenticity that we're trying to unpack and we're trying to uncover. And I think that uh, what um, part of that suffering comes from the fakeness that we present as holiness. Mm. It's not true, but we call it pretty. And so uh, we, we're trying to perform this this perfection. Um, you know, I, it's funny that you should mention the. Um, um, the uh, uh, sort of difference between Catholic theology and Unitarian 
uh, universalist theology about um, you know whether we are whole or not. It actually just came up this last um, two days ago. We were talking about um, the Unitarian Universalist principles uh, and the inherent goodness of every person. Uh, and I shared in a group of Unitarian Universalists how radically different that is uh, from my Catholic faith, which says, frankly, the opposite, that right. everyone starts out broken and, and in need of uh, some external help, external right. relationship. Um, I said that to a, a, a Zoom screen full of nods, Mm. And no one had any question. Nobody pressed me on it. Nobody was concerned with it. Mm. It was almost as if it was okay for me to believe something different than mm. what everyone else believed in that moment. Well, and that's a beautiful world right there. <laughs> that's what we're trying to build, I think. <laughs> right. That is what beloved community... And yeah. it doesn't always go that way. You know, uh, acceptance is not affirmation. We can accept someone from who they are or we can affirm someone for who they are. And I think that affirmation mm. is healing. Yeah. Acceptance is perhaps foundationally or ethically necessary for us to live together. Affirmation is spiritual healing. Is spiritual healing. Is spiritual healing. Amen. <laughs> All right. I, that sounds like a great way to stop. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Disrupt Church podcast, hosted by Reverend Peggy Clark and Jill Novensky and produced by me, Starling Carter, for the Community Church of New York. To find out more about Community Church, visit us online at ccny.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or better yet, send it to a friend. See you next time.